Our reading today is Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My name is Dave Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship, and, and Pastor Brett is actually, he was in Montana speaking at a summer camp this week, and, and um, so I know that if he were, if I were talking with him right now, he would say, send you his greetings. So I'll do that, even though he didn't directly ask me to. But so glad you're here. The, the subject of today's sermon is a costly obedience, and it's from Luke chapter 9, 57 to 62, and, and this is really the last of our Luke series before a summer break, and we'll be preaching through 10 books of, or 10 chapters of the Psalms, and we're doing 10 chapters every summer, which means with 150 chapters in 15 years, we will finish Psalm. And, and that says something about the Christian faith. We are, we are in it for the long haul. God's word is complete, and we, all we can do is examine it bit by bit by bit. And, and we are in it for the long haul. Well, here at GCF, we have a mission statement. And it goes like this. GCF exists to glorify God. Well, how do we glorify God? through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. And so that's what we are about, and that's what we want to do. That's what we must do to glorify God. So, but what does that mean? Well, it means that when we sing songs, we're going to be singing about Jesus and about what Jesus has done for us. It means we're going to be so excited about what Jesus has done for us that we're going to want to tell others about it. And it's going to affect us, and it's going to affect all our relationships. It's also going to affect our discipleship. We are disciples, and we're going to grow in discipleship. And we're, disciples make other disciples. And we're going to want to grow so that we can encourage others to grow in their faith, and they'll be able to encourage others to grow in their faith. And community. Here at GCF, we have home groups community groups, which is really a better name. And in those community groups, we seek to develop close ties so that we can love one another, so on and so forth. But let's go to the beginning of that. We want to be gospel-centered. Well, what does it mean to be gospel-centered? What does that even mean? Well, the gospel is the good news. God created us. He owns us. And we are required to obey God in all things. But we're pretty independent. And from the get-go, Adam and Eve turned to their own way. And every one of us has turned to our own way. We have turned away from God's rule to self-rule. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus came 
second person in the Trinity. He gave up joyful existence in perfect community with God, came down and became born a little helpless baby, lived a perfect life in our place, and then died a sinner's death. He took all of our sin upon himself, and he endured the righteous wrath of God. We can only imagine what that's like, but Jesus endured it all in our place. And then he rose again. It was finished. He ascended into heaven, and he's there at the Father's right hand, ever living to make intercession for us. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for us. Do you know what he was doing this morning at 2 a.m.? Praying for us. Do you know what he'll be doing tomorrow at 3.30 in the afternoon? Praying for us. So he's leading the church by praying. He's going to come again. And when he comes again, we're going to experience life as it was meant to be, with glorified bodies and perfect joy forever and ever. Our inheritance is secure. And in the meantime, we have the Holy Spirit residing within us, and we have the joy of his presence. Well, this is such incredible good news. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. So this salvation is ours, and it's not something we earn. It's something given to us. It's a free gift. It's something that Jesus did for us. And all we have to do is receive this incredible gift. Well, over the years... Many have shifted this into some kind of workspace salvation. Well, you, yeah, yes, but you have to do this and this and this and this. And, and that's, that's not true. In fact, that's from the pit of hell. It is a free gift. So now in attempting to guard that truth, others have, have insisted on the freeness of the gift correctly but have kind of drifted into an easy believism. Well, if we can't earn it, and if it's a free gift from God, then let's just lower the barrier to entrance so that anybody can, in fact, let's make it as easy as possible for people to come to faith. Because we don't, wanna, we don't want people to trust in works. And so we just want people to come in. And if there's any kind of inkling of interest, then let's just welcome them in and then slowly let them know that there's more to Christian faith. Let's, let's teach them the deeper truths of discipleship later, but let's just bring them in. If there's any interest whatsoever, just say this sinner's prayer, and you can have peace with God. I, I remember as, as, as a young child turning to a boy. I was probably four years old, and I, I received the gospel in the, in the five-day club, and I just remember thinking, this is incredible. You mean I can, I can do whatever I want and just believe this, and then I'm set for, for eternity? I thought, who wouldn't do that? And so I, man, tell me how to say it. And Mrs. Jones, or whatever her name was, you know, showed me this prayer, and man, I said it with the best of them. And, and I was so excited that I went to my, my neighbor boy, 
and a friend down the street, and I just said, man, do, you don't have to do anything. Just say these words. In fact, you don't even have to remember them. Just repeat after me. I, I literally said this to him. I just, and, and I just, you know, I'm a sinner. Say that. You know, and I know I need to be saved. Just, just that. Say those exact words. And, and I, I remember leading my neighbor, thinking at the time that I just led him to Christ. But in his mind, he was like, okay, man, I could, if I say these words, then I'm set for, for eternity. You see, it, it started, this whole easy believism came in an attempt to guard the reality that salvation is by faith and faith alone. We don't, we don't work to earn it. But we cannot earn our salvation. We can only accept it as a free gift. But there are barriers and this, morning, this morning's text talks about those barriers. Jesus did not tell people to make a decision. He told them to follow him. And, and he, in what he says, it's, it's absolutely amazing some of the things that Jesus said. It's like, Jesus, do you want anyone to become a Christian? You're, you're like shutting the door on people. Remember the rich young ruler? Yeah, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and then follow me. And he went away sad. Jesus doesn't lower the cost. He raises it. And we need to look at it soberly. Saved by faith alone. Yes. But what does it cost us? Everything. Everything. We need to be willing to lose everything. And, th and that's really the main point of today's sermon. Today's text. Following Jesus is costly. It is costly. We're going to look at the context, and from the context, we're going to see that it's costly. And then we're going to look at the call, and we're going to see that it's costly. And then we're just going to answer the question, so what? So first, the context. Look with me at verse 57, the beginning of 57. As they were going along the road, it just says, as they were going along the road. Who is they? Well, first of all, it's Jesus' 12 disciples. In addition to that, Jesus had been doing a lot of miracles, and there's, a, there's many more people following him, calling themselves disciples. And as they were going along the, the road. So just think of it in terms of time and direction. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, think about just a couple of them. Think about Peter, James, and John. They left their fishing boats and their nets, and they followed Jesus. Matthew left his job as a tax collector. He walked away from his job with no security and started following Jesus. But they all went with Jesus. They gave up everything, family, jobs, homes, they allowed Jesus to set the agenda for their lives. Jesus set the agenda. Jesus dominated their schedules. He wasn't an add-on. He wasn't something that they included. Jesus was everything. So here they are. They're going from one ministry event to another ministry event. But it's not like they just checked the box and then went home. They are with Jesus, and they are now following him from one event to another, and they're on their way to Jerusalem, 
which is where Jesus was going to be crucified. And so they have given everything up. Now, some of you in this room right now came to Jesus at some point in the past and made a profession of faith. You, you, you may even have been baptized. Profession of faith, baptism, Lord, I'll follow you. You understood that you were saved by faith alone and not by works. However, did you and do you really understand the cost? Does the idea of being entirely sold out for Jesus seem a bit extreme for you? Is, is your story more like this? As you were going along the road, or are you with Jesus and where he goes, you go 24-7? A couple of hours on Sunday, check the box. A midweek discipleship group or maybe a community group, check. But the rest of your schedule belongs to you. You are really the one setting the agenda for your life. And Jesus just happens to be along for the ride. It's your agenda, not Jesus. Does that describe you? Do you put more thought into your next business move, planning a vacation, or even your marriage and family than you do with regard to your relationship with Christ? That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is not a part-time gig. It's not even a full-time job that you work 40 hours a week and then go home in the evenings and then take the weekends off. Following Jesus is 24-7, and that is so clear in his teaching and in his life and ministry. Earlier, Jesus said in the same chapter, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone... We are not just talking about, hey, there's Christianity and then there's a deeper level of discipleship that the super Christians can go in. And I might get there someday, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, that's just for those few zealous people. But then, you know, I'm part of this group of Christians. It's not like that. There is one group. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So from the immediate context, we see these disciples, and what are they doing? They're following Jesus every moment of every day. And it's costly, and it requires a total commitment. There is no time off, and you are on a path with Jesus toward death. Jerusalem. So first, the context, we find that following Jesus is costly, Second, the call. The costliness of Jesus is clear as he inter interacts here with three would-be disciples. So we're going to see costliness here. He's going to interact with three people who come forward as potential candidates. Candidate number one. Look with me at verse 57 again. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. So let's just look at the, the first, the very beginning of that. It says, someone said 
to him. Now, Matthew tells us that this someone was a scribe, but Luke is nondescript. In all three candidates, he's nondescript. Someone, anyone. And, and it's as if Luke is intent not to focus our attention on a specific group of people and say, well, look at this guy. This is what his response was. But Luke is intent to force us to insert ourselves into the story and see if the shoe fits. Someone came to him. Someone said, I will follow you wherever you go. And I beg you, me too, to listen carefully and, and, and see if you can see yourself here. Don't just automatically justify yourself. We're masters at that. But the stakes are too high, so, so just think carefully. God, is, is this me? This person said, I will follow you wherever you go. Can you imagine? I will follow you wherever you go. What more could Jesus possibly ask for? Someone who comes to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Unqualified obedience and allegiance. Wherever you go, I will follow you. Think about the number of people in the last 2,000 years who have come forward in this way. Eager to sign up immediately. I will follow you wherever you go. We would say, strike while the iron's hot. Grab that person. Sign them up. Don't let them go. I will follow you wherever. Some of us, our, our original professions of faith weren't even that detailed. But I will follow you wherever you go. Say the sinner's prayer, you're in. Now show up to church next week. But what does Jesus say? You see, Jesus saw past the words. And Jesus saw this man's heart. And there was something wrong. And, and here's what it is. It's really simple. This man, I believe, honestly and sincerely said, I will follow you wherever you are. But what Jesus saw is someone who just wasn't counting the cost. He assumed walking with Jesus would be smooth. He assumed that it would be a good life. I mean, after all, Jesus has healed people. He's made food. He's fed 5,000 people. He's fed 7,000 people. He raised the dead, gave sight to the blind. Jesus has done amazing things. How bad could it be following this guy? And so this man said, sign me up. I will follow you wherever you go. But he assumed that it would be wonderful. Wonderful teaching, close friends, miracles, growing popularity. But look with me at verse 58. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, Jesus understood something, and we see it in his statement. He understood that this man, though eager and though willing to follow Jesus was not willing to give up comfort and so Jesus tells him you know what even the animals have it better than me even the foxes and the birds have it better than me I have nowhere to lay my head and we can assume the man just walked away 
because he wanted to follow Jesus, but he had no category for it being as hard as Jesus was describing. Many people approach Jesus with this same mentality. I'll follow Jesus, they say, wherever he goes. But when they find out how hard it is to fight sin, or they discover that sometimes God doesn't interview, intervene when you'd like him to. Sometimes he doesn't fix the problem that you're in, engaged with. Sometimes you lose a child. Your marriage fails or you experience financial ruin. Many people, and I've met them, have said, man, I, I, I was going to follow Jesus, but then the wheels fell off and he wasn't there for me and, and, and I'm done. But sometimes it's not that radical. Sometimes it's just going with the motions. And maybe there's some disillusionment, but you're still going to church. You're still engaged. But are you really following Jesus? No, you're kind of burned out, truth be told. A true disciple is not guaranteed to be homeless. It's not a guarantee that you're going to be homeless as a disciple. But in order to be a disciple, you must be willing to face with Jesus whatever may come. Our focus cannot be on comfortable homes to live in, but on following Jesus. It was a, a joy to meet and talk with Seda and Emma this last week. And, and I went golfing with Seda. We went nine holes. And, and Seda was not complaining at all. He's, they're so full of joy to be serving in, in Japan and planting this church in Japan. It's hard. But he said two things that struck me. All the pastors at his former church in, in Virginia, there's a... a prestigious country club golf course right next to the church. And the, the, the club owner came over and just said, hey, do, you, do all you pastors want a, a free membership? And we're talking thousands of dollars. And they said, yes, we'd love that. And so they all have a free membership at this country club. And it's not wrong for them to have that. They are seeking the Lord. They are serving him and... Um, Everything's in an open hand. And, and Seda gave that up. And now he lives in a tiny high-rise apartment with four children. They are packed in like sardines in an apartment that they will never own because they've chosen to serve God in Japan in this way. They will never own a home. And yet they're so happy to do it. Now, does God call all of us to do that? No, he doesn't. But if that is the most important thing to you, then God is calling you to give it up right now. We must give up comfort to follow him. And it's such a joy to see Seda and Emma doing that, just joyfully. And in fact, they also do church in their home. So on, on, on top of it being so tight, they, they meet for their worship service there. And it's no sacrifice. Following Jesus is costly. We see this in the context. We see this in the call. Candidate number one, it will cost you comfort. You've got to be willing to give it all up. Candidate number two, look with me at verse 59 to 60. To another, he said, follow me. 
But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Some Christians today view this text as basically saying, we as Christians should not attend funerals. It's not what it's saying. It's okay, and it's, it's often absolutely right to attend funerals. So, so what's, what's going on here? When, when we view it that way, we're looking through 21st century lenses. But back in the first century, when, when somebody died, they were buried immediately. This man would not be traveling to some city right outside Galilee near Samaria asking Jesus or telling Jesus, I want to follow you, but first I got to go bury my father. He would not be there. He would be at home burying his father. The fact is, this, his father was not dead. That was a first century way of saying I need to go home, care for my parents, and then when my dad dies, it might be a decade, it might be two or more later, I need to bury him and then get the inheritance. This is all about inheritance. I need to go wrap up family matters so that I can get that inheritance. And you can only imagine what this guy is thinking. I think he heard that first exchange. Jesus told this other guy, follow me. Or the other guy said, hey, hey, I want to follow you. I'll go anywhere. And Jesus said, well, foxes have nests, holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This guy's thinking, okay, I'll take care of that piece. I'll take care of the financial piece, and I'll just follow Jesus. So I got to get these things ordered and secure, and then, and then I'll follow Jesus. His objection to follow Jesus is more a question of financial security. Bury my father. I think this man said and even thought, following Jesus is good, and I want to do it, but I can't possibly trust him to provide for me in the way that I'm accustomed to. You can see it. Yes, I'll follow Jesus, but I got to kind of take care of some of my provision because because I have it a certain way that I, I really like, and I want to make sure that's secure. I'll give my time and money to the Lord once I'm better situated. Have you ever thought that way? But what you're really saying is this, I can't trust Jesus to give me the standard of living that I want, so I better work more so that I can give more. I'll give. It's, it's all for the Lord. But I'm going to spend my time and energy doing these things and securing this, a.k.a. I, I need to put off following Jesus until I'm more financially secure. Or I need to put off following Jesus until a better time. But look again at how Jesus responds to this man. In verse 60, and Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There is an urgency in the kingdom of God. People are dying and going to hell. And Jesus says, don't put this off. You need to follow me now. 
go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And he says this really interesting thing. Let the dead bury the dead, bury their own dead. What in the world? How can a dead person bury a dead person? Let the dead bury their own dead? Here's what he's saying. He's saying the dead being the spiritually dead people in the world, people who are not Christians. Non-Christians are engaged in all kinds of things, and, and some of them are good. There's common grace. And one of the good things that non-Christians are engaged in is family affairs, wrapping up estates. And you remember that time when one person came to Jesus and said, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And, and I'm assuming it would have been right for his brother to generously share that inheritance with him. But somehow the brother was being stingy and the brother was hanging on to it. And you would expect Jesus to say, knock it off. Share that inheritance with your brother because that is right. But instead, you know what Jesus says? He says, he says, he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You cannot be geared toward money and be a disciple of Christ. Even in an area such as inheritance. He's saying non-Christians worry about things like that. But Christian, let it not be you. Do not get caught up in trying to secure your nest egg and building bigger barns and, and do not get caught up in that. The world gets caught up in that. But my disciples follow me and they don't get caught up in that. Following Jesus. Now, don't hear me say that we shouldn't work hard and earn as much money as we possibly can. I think we should. And I think as we work, we glorify God with our work. But if that is all about us, then you, you might want to inspect and see whether or not you are a disciple of Christ. Because you can right now. There's still time. So work hard. Be generous. But follow him. Following Jesus is a costly commitment. We see that in the context. We see that in the call. Candidate number one, it'll cost you comfort. Candidate number two, it will cost you financial security. Candidate number three, look with me at verse 61 to 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those who are at home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. What is this man saying? He's saying, I will follow you, but first let me say farewell to those at home. And maybe he had seen the first guy, nowhere to lay your head. The second guy, let me go bury my father. And so he's, he's just saying, just let me go home and say goodbye. Again, another person that we would sign up immediately, or at least we'd be tempted to. You're in. Make him a member. 
I will follow you, but first let me go back. And the answer is no. To follow Jesus means to go forward. No turning back. To follow Jesus means forward. It will cost you relationally. You can't plow straight looking back. If you look back, you'll be crooked. And we might be inclined to say, well, at least I'll get some harvest. It might not be as much if I had straight lines, but at least there'll be some. Because after all, there are you know, Christians who do straighter lines than others. But look at what he says. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. You're not even fit. What happened to Lot's wife? She looked back at Sodom and she turned into a pillar of salt. The Israelites in the wilderness, they looked back to Egypt. Do you find yourself longing for a former way of life? Do you find yourself, yes, this Jesus thing is okay, but you're looking over your shoulder, what else is there? Not fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying something so radical. I want you to burn your bridges and move forward. One commentator said this, Jesus, in a dramatic, nerve-jingling, bone-chilling call, makes it perfectly clear that following Christ is such an urgent matter that even the most intimate family responsibilities must be given second place when the call to follow him comes. Even your relationships at home. Does that mean your spouse? Is Jesus to come first before your spouse? Absolutely. I, I, I have a friend who actually turned away because it was creating friction between, his, between him and his spouse. So he stopped going to church. That's where it started. Then it actually came to a point where he said, okay, I'll stop being a Christian. All to secure that spousal relationship. Is, is your relationship with your spouse really important? Yes. Have you made a vow to stick together through sickness and health? Absolutely. But is it important enough that you would turn away from following Jesus? No. No. Or what about parents? Following Jesus means that even our relationship with our parents is on the altar. Following Jesus means all of our ungodly relations. Sometimes your ungodly relationships, you need to go and minister. But sometimes you need to flee and run without looking back. And that's what he's calling us to do. Boyfriend, girlfriend, leave. Friendships that are dragging you down. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Following Jesus is costly. We see that in the context. And we see that in the call. Candidate number one, it'll cost you comfort. Candidate number two, it'll cost you financial security. Candidate number three, it will cost you relationally. It's not a sign up and you'll be happy, healthy, and wealthy and have more friends. That's not what we're signing up for. 
Jesus said, sign up and you will die. Unless a grain of wheat dies, it remains alone. It's costly. It's costly. And we need to approach this soberly. Too many people approach this without counting the cost. And you end up just like the seed that fell on stony ground. It might not happen immediately, but eventually there's no root, and eventually you fall away. Or the seed that fell on the, in the thorny soil, the cares and deceitfulness of riches choke it out. Approach him with your eyes wide open. So now we go to our last point. So what? So what? We are saved by faith alone. But this faith is seeing Jesus for who he is. And what's the result? A radical commitment to follow Christ. He's better than anything out there. How in the world can you have your eyes open by faith to see Jesus and then get caught up in the day-to-day existence and this becomes your existence? You become so distracted that these things is what you care about. Comfort, financial security, so on and so forth. We're all tempted. But here's a sobering reality. Some of you here in this room right now again, may have made a profession of faith, but you are more committed to your own schedule, comfort, financial security, and relationships than Jesus. Examine your heart. The Bible says examine your heart and see whether or not you're in the faith. And you may even be fooling yourself and the rest of us, but your flimsy commitment to Jesus will be exposed for what it really is. For on that final day, there will be nothing hidden that will not be exposed. Jesus will not take second or third place in your life. He demands first place. He's given us himself. On that last day, every single one of us will stand before the throne of God and give an account. And Jesus himself says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But Lord, didn't we cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead in your name? And I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you, workers of iniquity. We are saved by faith alone. But not one person who comes to Jesus half-heartedly will be saved. That's a fact. That's just New Testament Christianity. Not one person who comes before Jesus half-heartedly will be saved. Dear brothers and sisters, examine your hearts this morning. If you are not sold out for Jesus, then you're not a Christian. Now, you can look at this, and and we can be beat up by this, but I really believe that the Bible says that it's the kindness of Christ that draws us to repentance. Not the rebuke, necessarily, although there is time for rebuke, and I think each one of us could probably feel a little rebuke this morning. But it's the kindness of God that leaves us 
to repentance. So what is that? It's, it's who Christ is. He is the great lover of our souls. He's the one who gave up everything for the joy set before him. What was that joy? That joy was his own people redeemed by his blood, gathered before him in an intimate relationship described as marriage and revelation. In Ephesians 5, he loves us and he calls us to this incredible relationship. That is our future. It is secure. This is not about turn or burn. Although as crass as that sounds, that's a true statement. Turn or burn. But it's about the joy of following Jesus, having the third person of the Trinity residing within you, whether on the mountaintops of life or the deep, dark valleys of despair. He himself is our comfort. He is our inheritance. He is our sure companion in life. Yes, the Christian life is hard. It's not easy. It involves death. But he is leading us onward to the new heavens and the new earth. And as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. How could we not? How could we, how could we turn from that? I love what the Puritan said. The expulsive power of a greater affection. You find yourself tempted by all these other things and distracted by all these other things. The answer is look to the crucified Savior. Look to Jesus the expulsive power of a greater affection. And watch the things of this earth become dim. Some of you here today might need to, to reevaluate. Do I know Christ at all? And repent. Some of you know him. And like me, you find yourself, you just need to reset. Well, reset. In our mission statement, it's GCF exists to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. You know that GCF started, I think, 20 years ago in a basement with just a few people. And today there are now three churches and over a thousand people worshiping. How in the world? What new method do we need to do? Nothing. There's, we don't need to do anything new. We need to just stick with what has been the vision from the very beginning. What is that? Worship. That's what we're doing. Evangelism. Take what Christ has done for you and tell it to your neighbors. Discipleship. Community. Oh, I hope this next fall we have a, a resurgence of desire to be in home groups, community groups. Those are important. How did GCF get to where it is? People showing up to church and showing up to home group. And discipleship groups. We have a sign up here, and we're going to start discipleship groups up again in the, in the fall. And let me tell you, we don't have any fancy new programs. It's just the same stuff we've been doing forever, but God is using it to build his church. So let's just keep doing the same thing. And I want to beg you, men and women, and if you have children who are interested, we'll figure out a way to plug them into groups. We'll make a group for them. But I want to just say, please 
sign up for the discipleship groups as we do life together. Is that too much of a commitment? No, Jesus calls us to give up everything. It's not, but he'll bless it. So let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we know we are unworthy and yet we are loved. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would show us how to be committed disciples. Thank you that we are committing to something infinitely valuable. Make Jesus precious to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.